Brad Thomas joins us now as we get ready for the Preakness. Brad, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How's it going? All right, Brad. Um, before I get to uh, the field, what was your thought about Always Dreaming's performance in the Derby? I think he's a hugely talented horse who ran to his potential, but he did have a lot of things go his way. He was one of the ones who moved up on the surface. He was aided by the bias. He was also helped by the traffic that the closers got into. He was good, but he's not unbeatable. Okay, uh, and this field, what would you call the field for this race? I would call it very, very weak, uh, but that's sadly become kind of typical for Preaknesses. Horses who lose the Derby, they take the ball and, and they go home. They're not sportsmen enough to come back again two weeks later and take on the, the horse who beat them. That's why I really credit Mark Cassie, the yeah. trainer of Classic Empire, for bringing his horse back. And he's got a legit horse that was the best of the two who had a tough Derby, and what he's telling you is... I can sit back and wait and launch a, an attack in the, in, the, in the Belmont, or I can wait to the Travers. But you know what? He's taking another shot here, which tells you, A, he treats the game right, and number two, he thinks he's got a good chance. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head. He treats the game right, and that's something that a lot more trainers and owners need to do if this game is going to keep going. Classic Empire does not need this race. He's a grade one winner. He's a champion. He's coming back on two weeks because the connections love the game and are playing it the right way, but also because their horse is coming out of the derby great. All right. Now, how do you envision this, Brad? Since we only have 10, let's just go through the field. Okay. Uh, Multiplier. He's an improving grinder who's moved forward with experience and belying his sprinting on both sides pedigree with increasing distances as well. He hasn't raced against top company, though, and while he was very game grinding down the Pletcher second or third stringer hedge fund when he made a stakes debut in the Illinois Derby, he did not run the kind of explosive race, the kind of race that Hens did when he beat hedge fund that would signal him a factor at this level. Also a concern that I have in that multiplier is he's very average at best on turns. That's go time, though, in grade ones when you have to get underway. Trainer Brendan Walsh, though, he's a rising star, and multiplier is an honest horse. He's well-drawn. He has upside. I'm going to use him deep underneath and even in the second slot on some tickets. I like that rail draw. He can stay in front of a couple horses early and get a ground-saving trip before rallying. Uh, Cloud computing. He beat three next out winners in his February debut at six furlongs, showing a real nice turn of foot. He was close to a live pace, stretching out off only one start and jumping all the way up to a grade three in the Gotham when he was finishing behind an absolute freaking out winner. He made a premature move when he tried to follow the Victor Irish war cry when he was wide and also against an inside grain, stretching out another 16th with only two races of foundation in the wood. He faded late there. He's a talented, lightly raced horse. Uh, horses like him have who have upside tend to be much liver in the Preakness than they are in the Derby because of the smaller field usually. And super sharp trainer Chad Brown, despite a plethora of other options with this horse, has chosen an aggressive one for this colt, making only his fourth career start. I think that's significant. I expect him to run his race, much like uh, Chad Brown's practical joker ran his race to finish fifth in the Derby. But I'm concerned about this horse is still not fully defined two-turn running style. He doesn't really know what he wants to do going long. And his ability to finish well at this distance when against this company is a concern for me, too. I just don't see him finishing well going shorter. I don't see how he's going to finish well going longer here with the lack of foundation. All right, hence. This horse is an absolutely legitimate talent on his best day. 
and he showed that in a sustained sweeping move and strong finish in his victorious Sunland Derby. Now, when a horse makes a move like he did, even with dynamics in his favor, and still keeps running strongly through the wire, that means this horse really has ability. And he beat a slew of vanquished foes who since have come back to run well in very good company in that Sunland Derby. But he is quirky mentally, and he failed to fire in the Derby when he was stuck behind horses in traffic and taking tons of flying slop in his face. And yes, it was slop. Water was sitting on top it of was. a glistening virtual surface. That was not a wet, fast track. That was a it, sloppy track. Now, Mike, racing's record, record keepers chose to call it that. And to me, precise accuracy counts in a big-money gambling game, and for the historical record as well. And I think they failed badly in that. I'm really bothered by it. But anyway, Hens didn't like the slop that was flying back in his face. But Hall of Fame trainer Steve Asmussen, who's won two Preaknesses, both of them with horses coming back on about two weeks of rest, has chosen not to regroup and has chosen instead to wheel him right back here. And hence, even with what was going on in the Derby, even not running a lick, still managed to beat nine horses. Now, he's going to be kept in the clear throughout here, as he prefers. It's a smaller field, but he's still going to be widest of all in all likelihood. He's probably not going to get any pace help, but this horse was really blossoming physically before the Derby. He was doing fantastically, and I think he can be a wild card factor here if he's not thrown off his game by another claustrophobic trip. I'm certainly going to use him in all the exotics, and I'm going to play a win saver on him at big odds, too. I just saw some of the early odds, and they're like 40 to 1. Oh, he'll be 50, 60 to 1, no question. Uh, Always dreaming. Well, first, big-time kudos to trainer Todd Pledger for giving his colt an extra foundation race and winning the Derby and always dreaming his fourth start, not his third, his fourth start, 2017, and for getting his charge to settle and relax on race day, despite this horse being overly aggressive training early in Derby Week. And a terrific job by the new exercise rider, Nick Bush, who expertly used the high-control draw reins that were prescribed by Pledger to get this horse settled. And credit to the previous rider, Adele Bellinger, for getting this horse fit all winter and spring. And it was fantastic, too, to hear Pletcher speak from his heart, something he should do more often post-race when instead of gloating to his derby critics, he chose to address thoroughbred after-career aftercare. Unlike some other high-profile trainers, Pletcher always has walked the walk on that critical issue, and it's one that all of racing's participants, including vetters, need to step up on. Anyway, Always Dreaming certainly was helped by the sloppy seal track, by the inside bias. But he went fast early and just kept right on going through the wire and the gallop out. This horse was running through the wire and after the wire, too. He's a huge talent, and he delivered. But he loves firm footing, and he got it at Churchill. And also in his previous start, when the Gulfstream surface miraculously tightened up and sped up in the days leading up to the Florida Derby, it was slow and loose before then. Always Dreaming's weakest recent speed figure by far came three back at Gulfstream in an allowance race when the dirt played deep and loose. Now, yes, he was barely asked to run that day against an extremely weak field, but it still could be at least somewhat indicative of his surface preference. Horses have to dig some to get traction at Timlico, even though that track is sped up today miraculously over the way it played yesterday. And always dreaming, coming back in two weeks, which is much quicker than his trainer's normal desire, could be a tad vulnerable with that combination, the two weeks and the looser track. Still, 
there's a lack of other serious and committed speed in the Preakness. And his good draw, I think, gives him a huge tactical advantage. Always dreaming is going to be very, very hard to beat at about one to two odds. All right, Classic Empire, and the question is going to be where the Classic Empire goes. Well, he may not have a choice, or his jockey, Leperu, may not have a choice, because this horse has gotten more aggressive in training. I think he has to go in this race. I think he at least ha- he can't let Always Dream and just have the top to himself with the, with the uh, 10 going on the outside. That, that, that would be too easy. I mean, it really would be too much to make up, I think. I think he's going to go and try to sit too wide off of uh, Always Dreaming without putting stern pressure on him, but being close enough that Always Dreaming doesn't fire his best shot, he's going to have a live chance to wear him down. Uh, this horse was a truly outstanding juvenile. He was a champion, but he was a far better than average one. He had a rocky triple crown preseason, was all out off a 70-day break with pace and bias assistance to be conquest money in the Arkansas Derby, and that guaranteed his eligibility for the Kentucky Derby. Then he returned quickly off a hard race, second off a layup at Churchill. He was an excellent fourth despite race flow bias and early and late triples. He was nearly knocked down early in the race out of the gate. Classic Empire emerged from that race looking like Rocky after his first fight with Apollo Creed. He had some superficial leg abrasions and a puffy eye, but his people didn't hesitate in wanting the rematch. They're back here. He was further back early in the derby than he was early in his career, and in the Arkansas Derby as well, too. I think that had a lot to do with early traffic and field size. But here, he's perfectly posted, as you mentioned, Mike. He should fall into a much more tenable early position. He can be quirky and headstrong, however, so he's going to have to relax better than he has in some previous races when he was in close-range mode. Sometimes when he was close, he really wanted to go. He did that in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, too, and really went fast, but he was good enough to just be able to keep on going, but that was a mile on the 16th. The key of the question for him is whether or not he can move forward following two gut-wrenching efforts and now a second straight quick turnaround off the unsettled uh, Triple Crown prep schedule. If he can, he definitely has the talent to test always dreaming. All right. Uh... Gunavera is uh, now amazingly. His trainer said he wanted the horse farther back. I mean, that's amazing. He, he instead of getting some position to be happy, he said he wanted the horse farther back in the Derby. Well, I guess he feels that he just has a powerful run for an eighth of a mile, and he wants to save it for as long as possible. Sometimes horses, uh, there are horses who are like that. I don't think it's really going to matter. Gunavera did have some early issues in the Derby. He did launch a strong, very wide, and against race flow and bias move into the stretch. He really was moving explosively. But for only the second time in his career, he did not finish well. That could be an indication to me that his form and or his talent and or his stamina had hit a wall. He's likely not going to get any pace help in the, in the Preakness, and the very wide sweeping move he prefers, whether he's even further back or not, that move does not tend to play well at Pimlico, even on days when the 3, 4, and 5 pass are okay. 6, 7, 8 wide, forget about it. Only deep underneath for me for Gunnavera. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he's fifth or sixth. All right, term of art. He picks up the world-class young jockey, Jose Ortiz. He has some pedigree and performances that say the stretch out to him on 316 could actually help him. Still, he's never been close to a win factor at the greatest stakes level. That grade three he won was an off-the-turf race. It doesn't count. Three back, he was against pace and an inside grain in the Lewis. Two back, he kept grinding gamely behind the dominant mastery. And last out in the Santanita Derby, he was just too wide. He puts blinkers back on here despite running his best races without them. I don't really understand that. 
anybody can finish fourth. That's as high as I'm going to use him. I just don't see the ability to really be a major threat. Senior investment. He moved forward with pace and bias help in a very average strength grade three Lexington at Keeneland and has never run a race suggesting he could be a win threat at this level either. Still, his sharp trainer, Ken McPeak, has chosen to take a shot as he did with Saraba at 72 to 1 in the Belmont a few years ago, and that worked out. Uh, these guys like McPeak, he's another guy who's willing to run a horse, even if it looks like the horse may be a little bit over his head. It's the D. Wayne Lucas thing. You have to be in it to win it, and sometimes you get lucky. I'll use senior investment deep underneath because he's going to be a huge price, and he will finish. His inclusion involves very little risk in a moderately sized field, but could yield some big rewards if he has a lucky trip and or pace scenario. All right, looking at Lee. He had an absolutely perfect mind that bird like got, got a great trip. Got a great he trip. Yes. Absolutely. And it was an and, an and, and a good pick by you because you used him as the key horse last week at big odds. So he he was the one that made the exact there a three hundred and thirty six dollar exacta. And he also rode that ultra-live rail at Churchill Downs. When Churchill is wet, the rail tends to be great, as Calvin Burrell has proven repeatedly. He easily got up for a well-beaten second on, on, in that race, showing the improvement stretching out to a mile a quarter that his trainer, Steve Asmussen, always said was going to happen. Now, though, he has to cut back a 16th. He's likely going to get less pace. And horses like him, those big derby suck-up ralliers, yeah. they tend to regress they at do. Pimlico. They do. We've hit a lot of them, and they have regressed all of them. You know that we've, yes. hit, we've hit a bunch of them with Dallas Stewart. They never come back. So right. they, I agree. Plus, he's going to have to come wide this time. Right. That's a great point. The difference between the one post in the derby and the nine post here means he's highly unlikely to get another golden inside run on Saturday. I'm going to use him deep underneath, no higher. All right, Conquest Mo Money, who really could be one of the keys to the race. What, how good is he, and what's he going to do here? I think he's good, and I think even more importantly, he is a gamer. This is a horse who overachieves and tries like anything. He was an absolute steal as a New York-bred son of superstar sire Uncle Mo for a mere $8,500. So he's got something wrong with him, obviously. Well, well, he, didn't vet for some, he didn't vet for 8500 bucks. that's for sure. Well, well, you know who to ask. Yeah. Ask Mark Cassie, Classic yeah. Empire's trainer, because yep. he was in Cassie's barn as a two-year-old. Wow. And, 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 Cassie could, and, and he had some two-year-old problems. He couldn't start. The guy who owned Congress Mo Money and many of Cassie's horses put them in that dispersal sale because he was getting out of the game. Yep. Now, Cassie's other clients bought many of those other horses for big money, some at Cassie's recommendation. So Cassie didn't even recommend, I guess, to right. anybody to spend 8500 on this horse. And he's so, become a good horse. Yes. yes. All five of his races have been around two turns against progressively tougher company, and he's moved forward each time despite the increased competitive stress. So he's handled that stress. Two back in the Sunland Derby, he was pace-aided when he launched a premature rally. He was out-kicked by a freaking hence who just exploded. But he still finished well in front of the subsequent Bluegrass winner, Arap, the just-missing Illinois Derby runner-up hedge fund who just missed the multiplier. Conquest Mo Money was well in front of him. And also he finished in front of the close Northern Spur third total tap, a horse I love, by the way, on turf in race eight at Pimlico on Saturday. Last out in the Arkansas Derby, Conquest Mo Money with second time going nine furlongs, he disputed strong fractions under tag team pressure on a surface that was unkind to speed. He then spit out the second attacker, 
the Rebel winner, Pletcher Train, second choice on the race, Malagasy in mid-stretch, just exhaled that horse. Watch the replay. And he only yielded late to two-year-old champion and the subsequent Tough Trip Derby Fourth Classic Empire. He was better than Classic Empire that day, much better than Classic Empire. He, he's versatile. He's consistent. He's a super hard-trying gamer. Uh, looking at Lee, had everything his own way in the Arkansas Derby, well back of Conquest Mo Money, finished second in Kentucky. Conquest Mo Money had everything against him in that race in Arkansas. Now he might have some things in his favor, we'll see. But I love that his low-profile but clearly capable connections had the intelligence and the discipline to skip the Derby, give this horse some rest after two straight quick turnarounds, and point him for a realistic objective. The outside post, though, that's the problem. Does low-profile jockey Jose Carino, first time on a big stage, send him and try and clear? Or does he concede the lead to Always Dreaming, but then sit in the middle of a sandwich between the two superstars, Always Dreaming and Classic Empire? And what happens if Classic Empire, as we've talked about, is on the muscle early or is aggressively handled and starts to flow Conquest Mo money out wide on the first turn? That could be the best scenario of all, though, for this horse, because maybe Carino is sharp enough and good enough and reactive enough to ease back and get the garden trip himself. Still, you have a low-profile rider. He might go too fast, he might go too wide, or he might be so passive as to barely be a factor. He's going to have to make a really tough split-second decision because of where he's posted. It's a fine line. But I think Conquest Mo Money is a legitimate combination of talent, of peaking form, and of heart, more importantly still, I think. He's going to be a major player, at least tactically, and maybe even a bigger than major player if his jockey can rise to the grade one level. All right, so what do you like here? So how are you playing it? Always Dreaming is the likeliest winner. Uh, maybe not as likely as his odds. Classic Empire, second likeliest winner. I think he's going to wind up around 3-1 to one or 7-2. to two. That's pretty fair. The next likeliest winners to me are Conquest, Mo Money, and Hence. I'm playing tries and supers. That one or both of Conquest, Mo Money, and Hence are there. You can box them if you want those four horses. A four-horse try box uh, for 50 cents uh, costs $2.40. A four-horse Superfecta box for 10 cents costs $12. And I love that Pimlico is taking 10-cent supers on this bet. Churchill doesn't, and it's unfair to, 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 to betters. The 10-cent super really gives you leverage. But what I'm going to do is I'm playing all the combinations of a box of those four horses, and I'm also going to include multiplier a lot underneath, but I'm playing all the combinations of a box, but I'm weighing the plays more heavily with the shorter prices in the higher slots, because those are the likelier combinations. They're also going to be the lower payoffs. So I'm not playing an equal box. I might have some boxes that are, are $20 with the with the uh, shorter price horses on top and much lower with the, with the other horses on top because you have to play the probabilities and also the returns. But if Conquest, Mo Money, and Hence are there and the favorites are there as well, I'm going to do well. I'm also going to have win savers on Conquest, Mo Money, and Hence because the odds are big enough to make it worthwhile. So if somebody blows this race up, you think Hence is the horse? I think Hence is the one with the talent. I don't see the talent in the other horses. Hence can explode on his day. You don't often see horses make the type of move he made at Sunland, even with the pace help he got, and sustain it through the stretch. And the way the horses behind him have run subsequently, including Conquest, Mo Money, verifies how good a horse he is 
Asmussen bringing him back in two weeks is very significant. Thanks, Brad. We'll, uh, good luck tomorrow. We'll chat uh, before the Belmont. Thank you. You guys, too. All right, Brad Thomas, uh, there you go. Back after this.